This is Sex Ed Debunked, a cross-generational podcast hosted by mother-daughter duo, Christine and Shannon Curley, where we talk about all the things you learned or didn't learn in sex ed and where it all went wrong. From the abstinence curriculum to the monogamy myth and the vast spectrum of rainbow representation, we'll get real about sex positivity and catch you up on everything from proper anatomy to the holistic benefits of a great sex life. Tune in to Sex Ed Debunked wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us at Sex Ed Debunked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hi, and welcome to episode three of Sex Ed Debunked, a podcast about comprehensive sex ed, sex positivity, and salt and Peppa's iconic single, Let's Talk About Sex. <laughs> We're your hosts, Christine and Shannon Curley. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we'll be talking about the myth of the talk. And the myth of the talk is that it's all one and done. As a reminder, last time we talked about the myth that it's all about the quote-unquote birds and the bees and debunked the myth that teaching about biology and anatomy constitutes comprehensive sex ed. Uh, We also found out that literal Nazis were the ones that were using the term birds and the bees, so we've agreed to move away from that, right? Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) Uh, Last week, we touched a bit on sex ed in the Netherlands, and we'll talk a little bit about their model today, um, as it's a good uh, blueprint for sex positivity. Um, I'll be the first to come out and acknowledge that I did a terrible job with the quote-unquote talk (laughs) with both of my children. Uh, Shannon, do you remember what I told you? You know, I think it was less of a talk and more just like a warning. (laughs) (laughs) Not a sex talk, a sex warning. It was just don't do it. Um, And I don't actually really remember there being a conversation. I just remember the fear, (laughs) the feeling. Uh, I I think probably the most that you you need to know about my healthy views on sex based on any conversations we had were that when I turned 21, as in like past the age where you got pregnant with my brother, we had like a, hey, I didn't have a baby party with my (laughs) friends because that was like my whole model for successful sex was just don't have it and don't get pregnant. Um, So, yeah, I don't I don't really think we had a sex talk. I think I'm sorry. Yeah. All I can remember is one what we talked about last time, which was the talk about getting your period. And then after that, I think it was just a an unspoken truth that sex would mean that you would get pregnant and then you would have a kid and your life would be over. So just don't do it. Well, I mean, in fairness, my life wasn't over. <laughs> you and your brother are wonderful additions to my life. Um, I tried to ask your brother uh, what he remembered about um, any type of <laughs> no sexual comment. conversation. Um, I called him, left a message, and sent two texts. Um, he hasn't replied. He said, lose my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> so if I get an answer at some point, we'll put that on the social. Because <laughs> that'll be his punishment for not answering his mother's call. <laughs> Speak now or forever expose your I truth. Mean, <laughs> we did. I, I know that because, you know, me and your dad, um, we got pregnant the very, very first time we had sex. Not just had sex together. But had sex, so we were both virgins, and bang, hit the jackpot with your brother. Literally bang. Um, yes, literally bang. I mean, that was something we were very clear is like, well, kind of like when we talk about drinking, like if you're going to drink with your friends, just tell us and we'll pick you up or sleep over your friend's house. It was kind of like, well, if you're going to have sex, please okay, well, use a you condom. You might have said that to, <laughs> to my brother. You definitely never said that to me, ever. You're right. Promise. And, you know and, and, and that is actually... Um, 
that's a big issue because I think that we do as a society expect young young kids to be sexually curious and young girls to not be. And part of the reason we're having this conversation today is that I'm going to debunk that, that I totally screwed up. Um, I should have been much more positive at that age. Um, even though I was positive about my own sexuality, I didn't have a model to follow in right. terms of talking to you guys. Um Though the one conversation I do remember talking to your brother about, and I'm really curious if he remembers this. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if you guys remember back in the day, Alanis Morissette had the song. Um, it had a line in it that said, does she go down on you in the theater? Oh. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. I see where it's yeah, going now. Yeah, and uh, driving in the car, the song comes on the radio, and your brother asks me, Mom, what does that mean? Did you say you ought to know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> but I did kind of take a deep breath, and I told him. I told him pretty, you know, explicitly, actually, that, you know, boys will No, sometimes- I don't know. Tell me. Do you want me to retell the story? <laughs> I would really like to know how you handled that conversation, yes. Well, I said, well, you're at an age now that sometimes your penis will get erect and aroused. And there is a sexual activity that involves a woman or another person going to your penis with their mouth and bringing pleasure. Um, and that is called a blowjob. And in the song, she's saying go down in the theater means that that's something that she had done with her boyfriend. And she was wondering if the new girlfriend Presumably was doing the that. Boyfriend. Presumably. How um, was, it, what was his reaction to that? Um, my recollection is none. <laughs> Just kind of like, oh. oh. <laughs> but, I mean – he asked the question, and I think the very, very most basic thing that we, I want you all listening to get from this podcast is sometimes it's hard to be open and honest, but just do it because it was hard for me. I was before I was a sex educator, was before I was in this field. I was in, you know, I was a practicing attorney in a very serious conservative field, and I just took a deep breath and gave the right answer. And that's like if, that's, if there's one takeaway from all of this podcast is just be open, honest, and give that um, direct answer if you can. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think that's a, a good point that you make the joking aside that sometimes I think these conversations or this this singular talk is because a kid starts questioning. Um, and I don't think it happens as often that a parent just elects to have that conversation on their own. Um, and I think it's a daunting conversation for a lot of people because there's this idea that there should only be one. It's the talk. And if it's just the talk, then that puts a lot of weight and a lot of pressure on that conversation to get everything right versus if we started normalizing the talk as actually a series of multiple talks and a series of ongoing conversations, then maybe it would be easier to just continue to talk about these things um, yeah, and not have to wait for your son to ask you what Alanis Morissette meant. Well, I mean, and even if the fact that I never had a quote unquote talk, the fact that he was able to ask me was actually a good yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, I had no model. Um, my talk was don't have sex till you get married. Bye. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. Yeah. So you can only imagine how my parents were mm, somewhat shocked, surprised. And um, I probably a million more adjectives that I can't come to mind right now when I told them that, you know, 
we were I was pregnant. <laughs> so Yeah. Although this is a good moment. This is a good moment to pause and say you were very fortunate that despite that shock and appall, your family was very supportive and very we're you're very lucky in that way because that is not everyone's story. No, and my story was astounding support and Clearly, I'm still married to your dad, so that's also kind of an astounding story. Um, but getting back to the, the model of how to talk to your kids, we're going to start with some really, really basic stuff. First, I'm going to confess, like I said before, I am not the overall expert um, on parenting, whether from personal experience or my academic experience. But I do know where to find the good information. Mm -hmm. So most of what I'll be telling you and discussing with you, Shannon, during this podcast is stuff that is coming from the Netherlands model, the Swedish model, Planned Parenthood, the Mayo Clinic. Um, parenting resources. So I have done, a, I wouldn't say exhaustive, but a very thorough review so that when I talk about this on the podcast, I am bringing you trusted, credible information, not um, somebody just blogging off the top of their head thinking what might be a good idea. <laughs> Let's start with at the most basic, conversations about sex to kids of all ages must be about more than facts. So like we talked about last uh, podcast, birds, oop, almost said it again. Body talks. Body talks were about <laughs> facts. What you need to talk to kids at, a, at the most youngest age is about their feelings because kids feel, right, at a young age. And so start bringing feelings into the conversations at a very young age. And before you even start talking to your kids, take a moment. And assess your own values, your own attitudes about sexuality so that throughout these conversations, there's a thread of values and a thread of attitudes that your children can perceive and can see as hopefully very, very positive. So I want to pause there because I like now you and I can have these conversations, but we didn't. And we've acknowledged this on previous podcasts, too, that a lot of times kids, young adults, whatever, will go to like the internet to find information that they're not having conversations about. And that's okay. I think the internet can be a good resource if you know where to look. So do you have a recommendation for teens and young adults in terms of websites that they could actually go to? I know you mentioned Planned Parenthood and Mayo Clinic, but like those are- Those are for parents. Those definitely. are for parents and they're obviously a little bit more clinical. But for kids, Scarletine. Scarletine. Hands down. It's got great graphics. It's got amazing resources. It has a chat feature. Um, and it is, I have to say, anyone that I know in the sex education field, that is what they recommend hands down. And as parents, you know, if you're if you're talking about, you know, I know some parents like do blocks on the internet, la, la, la. Don't block that one. Yeah. Okay, don't block it. Um, and you can trust that you can say to your kids, go to this website and yeah. not, you can trust that it's going to give you good information. I also just want to say we're saying parents. We also mean families. We mean guardians. We mean grandparents. Thank you. We thank, mean you thank you. Um, caregivers, anyone who is, um, who cares about the lives of their young teens slash emerging adults mm -hmm. in their, in their life experience. <laughs> Definitely. So it's so funny because this is a learning experience for me too because I'm now I'm looking back on my own experience with being, you know, raised in our family and not having these talks and I'm like, so what should we have talked about? And something that maybe because I'm just a person who <laughs> likes timelines, but is there <laughs> some sense 
for these families, for parents, for guardians, for caregivers? Is there sense in mapping these talks now that we have acknowledged that there should be more than one to sort of like life stages? Should there be talks at toddler age, at preschool, middle school, preteen, teen, et cetera? Yes, 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 yes. Most definitely. Um, and and kind of probably younger than you might might necessarily think. But the sooner you talk, like you you talk to your young kids about, for example, toddlers, right? Preverbal, right? And you talk to them about uh, this is your nose, this is your hand. So start at a really young age naming all the body parts and naming them properly. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk to kids about naming the penis, naming the vulva, naming those the vagina, the clitoris, any other body part that there is then it becomes like an arm or a hand, right? Right. So how young, How young, I guess I was going to say how young is too young, but really how old is old enough to start having those conversations, in your opinion? Well, think about for a minute. Like young children, pre-toddler, they're communicating already, aren't they? Right. A lot of nonverbals, but yeah. Yeah. So as soon as you know that your child is communicating with you, which is like day one, you're going to just start doing what you do ordinarily right. with the rest of the kids' bodies. You know, think about it. When you are um, even a, a baby as young as maybe like six months old, you're saying, put it in your mouth. And you're using those words. And so it's that For consist- our listeners, we're, we're showing nonverbals right now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> you're right. My mom was <laughs> touching her mouth and showing that we I, show to kids and just, just gesticulate with kids to show them what we mean and attach words to nonverbal meanings. Thank and I think, I think one of the things I want to point out is we naturally have these conversations and they're not conversations about sex per se at age zero to two years old. You're not talking about sex. No. You're talking about the body and you're naming the body so that they're comfortable with their body and there's no well, shame around it. And I it. think part of that is like awareness of body, right? Because we start talking to kids about this is your nose and this is your hands when they start noticing that they have a nose and they start noticing that they have their hands. So I think the quote unquote private parts kids don't notice until a little bit later. But as soon as there is an awareness of that part of your body, you should talk about it, right? You should put a name to it. Well, and what a, what a lot of the people in sex education and um, parenting fields will tell you, it's important at its most basic so a young child can communicate health issues. If something hurts, if something doesn't feel right, they have to be able to name it to right. be able to tell you. And even the nonverbal of being able to point to it should be something that is okay and not like, oh, don't, don't, don't point to your penis. You know, it's okay. It's okay to mention that doesn't feel good because that's how um, your young people communicate about everything, either by naming it. So that's the first step is um, zero to two-ish, start naming. Okay. So... Yeah, that's interesting. It's sort of like there's a I'm a literary nerd. So there's a a term in literature and I I don't remember exactly what it is. I think it's naissance, though. And it it means Mm. like you call something into existence by naming it. Great word. Great word. So that's this. (laughs) So that's important. But I think just to 
to talk about my own experience a little bit, like when we did eventually have the period talk, which was our first any kind of talk about your body, I think part of the reason why that talk was so scary was because I hadn't really considered my body before. So the earlier that you can give people, you can give kids the words to describe themselves, I think the more comfortable they become with the other things that their bodies can do. Well, and this is also the age where young children, toddlers start noticing differences and if you're comfortable, and I know this is a, might be a challenge for some, but this is also an age to start recognizing that gender is, does not begin and end with anatomy. Mm-hmm. So you can start saying kids with penises, kids with vulvas, instead of necessarily saying boys and girls. Yep. And it's, it's a challenge, but the more we change the language mm-hmm. in the beginning, the language becomes more comfortable as kids get older. So they've been hearing that from age of two rather than the first time they're hearing it is at the age of 13. And, you know, quite honestly, in today's society, the first time some people are hearing it at the age of 40, 50, 60, and they're like, what do you mean? Why are you saying that? There's only two boys and girls. And, you know, our hope is that this next generation is going to be like... Yeah, there's more than two. There, who right. said there was ever two? Mom, dad, auntie, uncle, they never talked about two. <laughs> they talked about differences. And we didn't think about differences as being anything other than super cool. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it is gearing in that direction. Um, okay, so I think you said, what, between ages zero and, and two, talk about bodies. So what's next? Like if we're looking at that's moving beyond like, little, little kids into like preschool age, preschool. right? Yeah. And so like the guidelines, like around two to five. And I want to say, you know, obviously you gear it towards your, the child you're with. You know, it doesn't have to be your child. Like we said, it could be another caregiver. It could be a grandma. It could be grandpa, whatever. You're gearing it towards what that child can handle. But the fact of the matter is at that age from two to five, kids are exploring their bodies. There are, they are talking about their bodies. And for you to say, it's okay, but maybe do it in private. I mean, that's okay. It's perfectly fine to say private. It's perfectly fine to say, these are things that you can do and explore in your bedroom or explore in the bedroom, but don't explore it at the dinner table at holiday. Um, not necessarily a good idea. And the so one is teaching them about their bodies and making it feel okay. Mm-hmm. And two is boundaries around their bodies. And this is interesting. As I was reading up on the materials, it goes both ways. So... I think we've talked in the very beginning about consent being really important. Mm -hmm. So when we teach kids about boundaries on their bodies, it's telling kids that it's okay if you don't want to kiss Aunt Franny. It's okay if you don't want to sit on someone's lap. And you can say no to that. Oof, yeah. I mean, (laughs) I am one of those people that hates as I always used to call it, interfamily kissing. Like, yeah. do not make me kiss you on the cheek. I don't yes. want to do that. Yes. And But really, like, that that's so inappropriate to expect that it's just, this is what you have to do. You have to kiss great uncle Leo on his cheek. Like, I on don't, his own scruffy cheek. I don't want to. <laughs> and that's, 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 like, I think that's really important. That's really important that you're teaching kids early on that you are absolutely allowed to say no. Well, and I would actually take it even a tiny step further Mm -hmm. and say the language should be saying yes. Right. Do you want to to kiss Uncle Leo on the cheek? Yeah. No, but I'll give him a high five. Well, and (laughs) you know, and a high five is pretty cool too. Yeah, we do that with with 
my niece, your granddaughter. The other thing I was thinking as, as you were talking about this is that, yes, it's definitely the responsibility of parents, caregivers, families to teach their kids about affirmative consent. It's also the responsibility of the adult to know better than to say, I'm going to yeah. give you a hug or not even say I'm going to give you a hug. Just give a kid a hug. It's also your responsibility to say, would you like a hug? Would you exactly. like me to give you a kiss? Like that's it's it goes both ways. And I think that's important. And it's something I've tried to do, too, because kids are so dang cute. Like if I see my niece or I see my nephew, like I'm going to give them a, I want to give them a hug. But I've become much better at acknowledging that that is an important part of their development is to learn that it is OK to say no and that you should affirmatively say yes two things that have to do with your bodies and have to do with boundaries about your physicality. And this is kind of where we bring the subject of this podcast to older adults t- who are just interacting with young people to make that to make that connection because we're all the thread through all of these podcasts is affirmative sexuality and positive sexuality. Mm-hmm. You ultimately want to be getting to yes, not saying no. And I'll say this is a po- this episode, right, is about multiple talks and we have definitely been gearing the co- the subject matter so far towards like talking to kids but these are also talks to have with your extended family and adults it is okay if you have kids to say to your extended family and the older adults in your family we are practicing affirmative consent with our child before you hug my kid please ask them if it is okay please ask them if that's what they want so this this is what we mean by it's not just the talk and it's a series of talks and it's conversations is these conversations transcend generations they transcend gender they transcend families it, they are important to have at all levels and it's important to continue to revisit these conversations so right now we're talking of course in like between these ages, talk about this. Between these ages, talk about this. Because we are talking about, you know, younger adults and, and children. But just to reiterate, the sex talk, quote, the sex talks, quote, should be had cross-generationally. Right, right. And it starts with it starts with this idea of touch being a good thing, mm-hmm. but touch being something that you affirmatively want. And so the, the one last piece of that is teaching kids that – they should also ask other people, right. can I hug you? Can I climb on your lap? Is that okay? Um, and that's a piece that I think that we sometimes forget as well. Yeah. So that's a great point. Um, okay. So the next thing that comes to mind for me is the the question, where do babies come from? How do you deal with that? And what, and what, <laughs> you know, I think there's probably an age maybe where that question gets asked more but it's i mean that's probably one of the most classic examples of mishandling a talk yeah and it's usually usually it's it's the kids that come up with the question it's not you having that talk and it's usually when another family member or a close friend is pregnant right because then all of a sudden they're like it's right in front of you what's going on (laughs) so the first thing i'm going to say is don't say it's the stork or magic. <laughs> Stop telling people that a bird delivers your human baby, okay? <laughs> so that's first. Second, once again, gauge the child you're talking with and what they can comprehend and go to their level. Third, be honest. Don't lie. Don't lie. And 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 realize what they can handle. So the advice usually is you can say something like, well, two bodies, two people, grown-ups get together and the sperm and the egg come together and make a baby. Or sometimes they get, you know, two people get sperm and an egg from someone else that makes a baby. And then to say, 
I'll tell you more when you're older. Like, that's perfectly fine. Like, you don't expect to tell a, you know, five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old about how the mechanics of sex works. That's insane. But what you do want to do is say, I'm going to tell you what I think you can handle and promise that I'll tell you the rest when you're a little bit older. One of the things that's really important is to share your own story and maybe share stories of other people in the family because there's so many how babies are made stories right mm-hmm. now. And and there's just so many different models of families, too. It's exactly. Like, there is obviously exactly. the, the talk about it from a sexual and anatomy perspective, but also, like, you know, I think there's this very common statement that's made when kids ask, which starts with, when two people love each other very true, much. True, true, true. But babies aren't always a byproduct of love, and love is not reserved for biological parents alone. So I think, to your point, telling more stories, more family stories, more personal stories of, yes, this is how babies come to be, but there's so much beyond that. And it's not just when two people fall in love, a magical stork appears on their front steps. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's a wonderful life. Stork. <laughs> <laughs> George Lasso Stork. Yeah. Only our favorite movie, Christmas. <laughs> uh, so pardon you if you guys don't get the reference. Um, <laughs> Sorry, we're old. Um. <laughs> but you know what? The, as you said, though, Shannon, because there are so many different families out there, there usually is an example that you can tell your kids. And your kids will relate to a family member or a friend, mem- mm-hmm. a, a friend, family that they're close to. So if your child can handle more than one story, by all means, tell them. Right. So tell your personal stories. Don't lie to your kids and don't make it some weird Harry Potter thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Then what happens? Then like, you know, guessing that that's somewhere in like the, you know, like maybe four to five, six, seven year old range. Once these kids are maybe towards like the later end of elementary school, getting closer towards middle school, what comes next in the in the series of talks? Well, one thing I do have to mention, they say like around six to eight, six to nine, you do have to start talking about internet safety mm-hmm. um, because they go on the computers now. I mean, look, all these kids now in schools are getting iPads. Go on the computers now. <laughs> but, all, but, but in a lot of school districts, iPads are being handed out. You know? No, and yeah, so, there's so many. And they, and they're so much more proficient than I can ever hope to be. So it's good to say, you know, you might come across adult things. You might come across things that you're curious about. Come to me and talk about it. Because um, as much as caregivers want to think they can block everything, um, you can't. Um, another thing, and I know this might be a tough one, you do have to start revisiting masturbation again. Because kids are learning more about the pleasure in their bodies. And if they're on the internet, <laughs> things might be happening. And it's good to say, reiterate, normal, normal, normal. It's okay if it feels good. Once again, let's bring in the feelings and also talk about privacy and, yes, talk about hygiene because yeah, especially, right. you know, I'm just going to say, especially with boys, so, um, hygiene is important. Let me <laughs> just say, too, but <laughs> let me just say that masturbation was not ever talked about with me in any format until my peers started talking about it. And I will tell you that <laughs> my middle school boyfriend, can we call them that, was the one that like was the great bearer of truth for everyone because he had a sister that was like 12 years older than him. So he just like was ahead of the curve with knowing everything, quote unquote. But his definition, and I'll never forget this because I thought it was so funny, was specifically masturbation is when boys, just boys, specifically masturbation is with boys use oil to touch themselves. (laughs) 
like for some reason oil had to be involved well you know lubricant is a good idea (laughs) once again cross-generational vegetable oil (laughs) coconut oil i just remember that that was like his insistence and and when we said does there have to be oil like there was no gray area it was yes you Um. must use oil So shout out to to that. But that was in maybe like sixth or seventh grade. But yeah, that's that's what I remember. That was the extent of my (laughs) conversation. So yeah, maybe it would be good to tell tell kids that it's not only okay, but also it doesn't require oil. Yeah, that's well, (laughs) though I will say as you get older, oil is good. (laughs) Lube is good, but not oil. Not like motor oil. I don't think this kid knew what lubricant was. I think that the the extent of his understanding was oil but i um, guess like i want to just like a, a real world experience a young kid you take them to get ice cream right and they lick the ice cream and it feels good it doesn't just feel good because it tastes good it feels good because it's cold on a hot day that's pleasure so pleasure doesn't have to be a scary word to talk about right with, with right i think pleasure has been kind of conflated into a sexual thing but ple- something being pleasurable is not innately sensual it's just like yes i like this ice cream thank you um so it's not just body parts that we're talking about here with with these series of talks. It's also just openness and honesty and inclusion and using the right language and, you know, destigmatizing some of the language, right? So that things like pleasure are allowed to be said. Things like masturbation are allowed to be said. Vulva is allowed to be said. And not just allowed, like just use it. Just calm. It's not yeah, that it's calm. allowed. It's actually just what it's called. And it's it's just conversation now. It's not like oh, let's let's go let's go in the corner and talk about this conversation. It's a conversation. Um, that's kind of the whole theme here is that openness, honesty, inclusion, um, and this theme should continue as your kids get older. Because if you don't start young and you start talking to your teenagers, they're not going to be open talking to you. They're not going to be feeling comfortable around this whole issue of their body. Um, Also, this next age is really when you kind of talk, want to talk about differences. You want to talk about different attractions, Mm -hmm. maybe start um, getting more into the conversation about the spectrum of gender identification, how people feel in how they identify, and that it's not about parts, that it's about how people feel in their skin. Right. So um, more conversations about gender identity and sexual, and sexual attraction. And and we'll talk more about sexual attraction, um, you know, obviously next week. But when you're talking to teenagers, hopefully, if you have had these open and honest conversations as your kids were young, by the time they are teenagers and actually starting to think about the specifics of sexual activity, they can ask you and they can say. Right. At this point, you've laid the groundwork. That's the hope, right, is that you've laid the groundwork to be able to just continue to build on these conversations. And just to to go back to talking about gender identity and sexual orientation, we will talk about this in a future episode, but promise you having any sort of chats about that would have definitely definitely helped me with figuring out my own relationship to sex and sexuality and healthy healthy relationships and boundaries you know because it wasn't talked about and it was very much like figure it out on your own and that yeah it delays the process frankly like it took me a long 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 time to be comfortable with my sexuality and and where i'm at and that's in part because the conversation wasn't had so i had to have it with myself well and you know full circle to the netherlands model and and in some way right now i'm kind of conflating conflating preteens and teens because i just think it's it's 
it's all geared to what your kid is ready for. But in the Netherlands model, kids can actually talk to their caregivers and say, I'm, I have a boyfriend now or a girlfriend now, and I'm thinking about having sex. And actually have that conversation. Could you imagine having that conversation? <laughs> but having to, having that space be so safe yeah. that that conversation is just another part of growing up. Kind of like I'm um, thinking of joining the soccer team. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and it becomes something. Mom, I'm going to start experimenting with the mathletes. Yes. <laughs> Which, I mean, who are awesome, right? <laughs> <laughs> you say as a former mathlete. Um yeah, I mean, it's good to know that there is a a good model to follow and that it has been successful um, in the Netherlands. So I think we're kind of close to talking about the teenage years now. And so then that's where the conversation, I think, always has to go to birth control and safe sex, to your point, because one of the conversations that obviously is had when you say, I'm thinking about having sex, the next thing should be safe sex, right? Yeah, and I think that's actually probably the one that caregivers are more most comfortable with you know use a condom get on the pill do those things um but let's let's just take it a step par- further because once again if you talk about only that you're talking about body parts mm-hmm. but safe sex is about being ready yeah safe sex is also about are you ready to make this step are you emotionally ready are you psychologically ready right do you feel like this is the right relationship for you. Right. Is this a choice that you're making for you or is right. it peer pressure? Is it, you know, because it's quote unquote been a long time in your relationship, like things like that. And I know for teenagers especially, right, like peer pressure is a big thing sexually or otherwise. It's just there's a lot of pressure to conform and to say yes, even if you don't want to say yes. So I think that's such a good point that safe sex is not just contraception. Safe sex is psychological and emotional and mental well-being too. And, it, and it's about making that once again, affirmative yes. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to do this? Does it, is it not something you're pressured to? Is it not something that you want to have your social status elevated? But do you want it? And I think that is, as I said, if you've done it all up to this point, with any luck, you will be the resource. You as a right. caregiver, you as the aunt, you wherever. You know, every kid needs a resource that they can feel comfortable talking to. And hopefully after listening to uh, us chat about it, Maybe you'll feel a little less daunted by having a series of conversations instead of the talk. Well, here's the question. When do you have the talk? Like, I don't mean at which age. I mean, how do you actually (laughs) sit down with your kid and make sure they're not distracted and be like, we need to talk about this. Let's go. Um, The car. Oh, my God. Not the car. The car is a trap. Okay, listen. Anyone who's sitting out here who is a kid or a young adult, do not get into the car if there's no reason. If if your mom or your parent or your caregiver or your family member is like, let's just go for a ride. Don't do it. It's a trap. It's a trap. Or or my tell for serious conversations was ordering an appetizer at Richard's Pub. Or when you told me my hamster died, you let me get an extra large frosty at Wendy's. And that's how I knew, man. The jig is up. But but I hear you. It's like it's it's when they're available, right? You, it's when they're available. Right. And that that is an important thing um, with teenagers is be available. Um Kids talk on their own time. Kids ask you questions on Kids their own time. Kids ask you about Alanis Morissette on their own time. And the car. I I'm back to the car again. <laughs> Turn me off to cars for life. Um, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, yeah, so no big talk. Lots of little talks. Lots of little conversations. Not unlike what this podcast is, really, right? Like You are correct. Sex at Debunked is a series of little talks. Some more weighted than others, but... 
just ongoing talks so that it's not just the talk. It's uh, it's conversations and, and conversations that help move you forward. So can I say it? I know you want to. Another myth. Put to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, there it is. <laughs> Next time, uh, we're going to talk more about sexual attraction and orientation. Um, so if you have any interesting, quote unquote, coming out stories, we'd love to hear them. Um, follow us, message us, DM us, whatever your <laughs> pleasure at sex at debunked um, on all social channels. Or you can always shoot us a message at sex at debunked at Gmail. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of Sex Ed Debunked. During the course of our podcast, we have limited time together, which means that unfortunately, many identities, groups, and movements may not be represented each week. The field of sexuality and gender orientations, identities, and behaviors are changing and growing rapidly, and we remain committed to being as inclusive as possible. Please remember that all of us, including us, are learning in this area and may occasionally slip up. We ask that we all continue to be kind to one another so that we can create a truly inclusive and accepting environment. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us at Sex Ed Debunked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Sex Ed Debunked is produced by Trailblaze Media along with myself, Shannon Curley, and Christine Curley. From Trailblaze Media, our engineering is handled by Ezra Winters. Mm-hmm.